Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, there is a, a new women's ministry, Her Heritage uh, newsletter that's out, and very cool page three that has upcoming events for this uh, through the summer, and uh, with some dates and stuff. You'll see that in there, and these are all on the credenza. Is that right? They're all out in the credenza in the foyer there. So let's pray. Lord, being in cold weather reminds us of how blessed we really are, having warm homes and warm food and warm clothes. We're thankful for those things, Lord God, and um, grateful for how you've cared for us. We pray that you bless us right now as we dive into Psalm 23 and a passage that's very familiar to most of us, and sometimes it can be too familiar because we've said it enough and we've heard it enough. Uh, So help us this day that today we would be refreshed by it and we would be strengthened by what it tells us about you, Lord. Watch over us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I have a copy of Psalm 23, though probably all of you could quote it from memory, I would imagine. So if somebody would pass these out, I would appreciate some help there. And me printing that out does not take away from you needing a Bible, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you'd be better served probably with that. Though I did make it larger print for those of us who have uh, sore eyes or old eyes or something like that. All right, so Psalm 23. Let me get my pointer thingy here done. Hope everybody can see this. I'm calling this... Shepherd, sheep, and sheepdog. So let me go ahead and read it to you. All right, here we go. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, or house of Yahweh, forever. So that's Psalm 23. Anybody see any, maybe some connections, or maybe a thematic connection, maybe with the previous psalm, with Psalm 22? Yeah, there's enemies in both of them, right? The enemies of Psalm 22 are pictured as beasts, as predatorial beasts, lions and tigers and bears and oh my, or whatever, however that goes, right? And so um, Psalm 23 is actually very fitting coming out of Psalm 22. You've gone through this death resurrection, this death and deliverance picture in Psalm 22, and now you're kind of back into it again, but you're starting out in a different place. You've and Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Right? And so you begin in a little bit different place, but they do go together. Very good. I love using Psalm 23 in hospitals and, and uh, um, when I do funerals, uh, but also just keeping it uh, in our heads and practicing it 
when I'm out running, memorizing it. There's so much to it that's rich. Okay. All right, so like I said, I'm calling this, can everybody see this? I'm calling it sheep, shepherd, uh, shepherd, sheep, and sheep dogs. And that's how it's going to break down. So this is a great book. I highly recommend this book. I mentioned I was at uh, the, um, um, uh, what do you all live again? Uh, uh, album. I was at an album last Sunday, and they had a church service and was asked to preach and mentioned it. And um, it's called The Good Shepherd. It's Ken Bailey was the guy who wrote it. Ken Bailey grew up in the Palestine during the British occupation and so he has a lot of engagement with um, uh, Palestinian shepherds. And so it's just, it, it just adds some color to some of the shepherd stories and scripture and stuff. But this is a, a delightful book. And I'm going to I'll reference it a couple of times today. But I would recommend this if you're looking for something to take you a little bit further in reference to all of this. Um, this and John 10 and several other passages. This is a great book. So I highly recommend it. So... Kim Bailey, The Good Shepherd. Okay, so this is the way we're going to break it down. Verses 1 through 3, the shepherd. Verses 4 through 5, the sheep. And then verse 6, the sheep dogs. That's how I'm breaking this down because that's the way it kind of looks to me. So the shepherd. Notice that the language of Psalm 23 is fairly personal. I mean, it's really personal. You see it in, in the I, me, my, he, you, all the way through. There's this uh, very intimate interaction back and forth. It's, so the psalm is packed full of warmth and tenderness, even when you get to the darkest part, which is verse 4. Okay, And so it's, it's, very, it's not surprising that it's a favorite psalm. Because it really is an intimate psalm. And there's a lot of tenderness to it. And so it's a good psalm to have down in, inside your heart and memorize it and curse it and so forth. But that personableness is all the way through it. So the biblical shepherd language, when you talk about shepherd, when it says Yahweh is my shepherd, very quickly you immediately think of just real shepherds like Lot and Jacob and, and uh, Jacob's family and da- David. Um, there are lots of shepherds around and there's pictures there. But when we often use shepherd language, we don't use it because we don't have a lot of shepherds around. Anybody raise sheep recently? No, right. Okay, so we don't have a lot of shepherds like, um, uh, like that would be, have been the case. And so we run across this shepherd language, and uh, it's used very often in a metaphorical way in reference to other characters or other uh, vocations, okay? We automatically, when we think, what vocation do you think of when you think of shepherd? Really? I never think of shepherd and police, never. But very good, okay, yes. Huh? Teachers, yeah, preacher, okay, pastors, elders, right? Normally it's where we go. But actually in the scriptures, that's a a small part of it. The bigger part of the metaphorical use of shepherd is somewhere else. It specifically almost always refers, not always, um, not even... um, in a significant amount, it refers to kings and political rulers. That's how most political rulers in the day would call themselves. They'd call themselves the father of their people. They would be designated as shepherds. So I'm going to show you some passages just real quick because I think this adds a layer to the psalm that's uh, right up front is a huge admission. So in in Numbers chapter 27, in Numbers 27, 
Moses is praying. He's about, uh, he's going to be dying sometime soon, and he's looking for a replacement. And remember, Moses is, yes, he's a pastorish kind of leader, but he's definitely a political leader. And so as he's praying in Numbers 27, verses 16 and 17, he's praying about his replacement, a leader to the people of Israel, which would be a political leader as well as other things. And so, uh, and so 16, let Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation and shall, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay? It's very interesting that that's the case. And by the way, that language there, Numbers 27, you need to keep it in your head when you go read John 10, because Jesus is referring to this passage in several places in John 10 when he talks about being the good shepherd. Just a real quickie, Jesus is saying he's the answer to Moses' prayer 1,400 years before. Okay? All right. So there's that. And if you go over to 2 Samuel 5, 2 Samuel 5 and verse 2. So somebody read 2 Samuel 5, 2. Who do that? Raise your hand real quick. Yes, David Forbat. So notice the synonymous phrase. You'll be shepherd over Israel, prince over Israel, right? So shepherd is metaphorical uh, oftentimes for the political leader. Okay, and then if you go to chapter 7, verse 7, just flip over to 2 Samuel 7, verse 7. And somebody could uh, read that for us. You keep going. So notice the judges of Israel. So this is the book of Judges. The judges of Israel. He calls them the shepherds of my people. And they sat in a, in a very regal, or not a regal, but a very uh, political, if you want to call it that, a political position in Israel. They were, they were judges. They were guiding and counseling and they were making decisions, judicial decisions. He calls them shepherds. And God calls them that. And then you go to Isaiah 44, verse 20. I'll save you from turning there. Very simply, it's, it's a prophecy about a pagan king named Cyrus. And God says, he is the shepherd of my people. So my point is, is that when, you know, oftentimes in Scripture, when you see the shepherd language and you think of them and it's referring metaphorically to someone, you will often find not referring to the priests, not referring to what we would consider pastoral or, or elderish or ministerial people, but it's usually political. It's actually with the judicial and the king, and so forth, okay? And so, think about Psalm 23 then. Who's writing Psalm 23? A king. The shepherd of my people. And what does he do at the very first line? God is a shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so he's acknowledging 
right up front. I am not in this alone and I am not the top dog. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. That, I don't know about you, but that's a huge admission. If our presidents would say, bow the knee and say, you know, I may be president, but the Lord is the ruler. That would rock the world. Right? Here's the king of Israel. The Lord, he's the shepherd of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, that's pretty phenomenal, I think. So, like I said, that makes that first line stand out. Okay. Um, so, notice the language you go through. Um, what's the very first thing he says? The Lord is my shepherd. And then what's his declaration then? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay. When we often think of wanting, how do we often think of want? When we talk about want, what, what, what's in that category of want? Oh, food, yeah. Yes. Good food, yes. And fellowship of the day, so this is perfect. Desire. We often put into that word want desire, which is a little bit different, okay? Clothing. Maslow's needs you can put that in there all, all those fill in some of those fill into the wants right okay in that sense we often go beyond just the necessities when we say uh when we talk about want we think about i want a bentley a five hundred thousand dollar bentley i want a four hundred thousand square feet house or whatever i want that's not what i'm just throwing these out that's not what david's talking about he's talking about i'll have no lack of necessities right Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he, takes, he takes care of me in those necessities. Okay? I think that's pretty, pretty important. Huh? The bare necessities. Are you going to start singing too, Lee? Come on, man. Come on. Hey, this morning I walked in the church building and I was singing, All the leaves are brown, the leaves are brown. And Bill really heard me and he started finishing the song. So it was awesome. All right, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one who does take care of me. And then the next part, where does it go with the next part? Notice the connection here, but where does it go after the I shall not want? He goes immediately to what a sheep would want as in need. What is it? Yeah, green, green pastures, and then right after that, still waters, right? So food and drink, okay? And then uh, Kim Bailey mentions the fact that sheep will not go to the water first they want to eat first and you go take them to the green pastures by the way green pastures in palestine are december and january it's very interesting and it lasts about two months and then like oklahoma everything just turns brown right and so this is a high point this is he's talking about the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he he leads me in green pastures he leads me into this situation that's unique where uh, it's where I need, you know, where I'm cared for. And it, the picture he's using is uh, the idea of green pastures, which are rare in the season. Okay? I think that's interesting. You eat first, and then you have the drink. Okay? Green pastures and still waters. And it's got to be still waters. Why would it need to be still waters if you were a sheep? It could never be Norman. Ah, 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 ah. Bob, by the way, has been to the Bill Kaysen school of quick jokes and dad jokes. But why would a sheep want still water?
Yeah, usually a stir, uh, water like that would be maybe more rushing. And what do they, what does sheep have on? Thick coats. What happens if they get to the water? Yeah. So their coats become heavy. And then if it's rushing water, they're doomed. You know, because I mean, it's, it's taking them down, right? So still water, at least they can, they'll, they'll go into the water. So they go into the water. And so at least they're not being dragged off, okay? So it's, it's a place of safety. The green pastures and still waters is a place of safety. And so uh, Ken Bailey points this out. He says, the shepherd must plan his day around the availability of water in the middle of the day. A morning of grazing in green pastures beside a reliable source of water is a much longed for ideal. It was rare, but that's something that a shepherd would look out for. And it's interesting that David is saying the Lord is that kind of shepherd who looks out for that situation. Okay? Anybody have anything on that? Any questions? Or I heard something. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go to John 10 in a minute because that's in the back of my head and that's what uh, Fred's referring to. Yes, Steve. Yeah, and that's a good point. So then he goes on and says, uh, he restores my soul. Okay? And that Hebrew word restore is uh, part of the shuv word family. And what it, shuv is, shuv is often used, uh, translated as re, he turns or returns. So to think, try that word, he returns my soul. Uh, if, and that's what, how that word is being used. In fact, it's a very... Um, uh, it's a very, um, um, yeah, whatever. I can't remember what I was going to say. But anyways, it's the idea that he restores me as in he brings me back. Think of that when you hear that phrase in, he restores my soul. What does that imply then about David as a sheep? He wandered off. Who brought him back? The Lord did, right? It's a repentance psalm. In some ways, it's a repentance psalm. I was the one straying. He brought me back. He restores my soul. And soul, nefesh in Hebrew, is often just refers to your life, you know, more than what we think of soul. It's just the idea of living and being alive. He restores my life. He restores me back because I was going in a different direction. Okay? Probably most of us, I would imagine, could give thanks that He restores our souls. Right? And so I am going to bring in John 10. So let's look at John 10 very quickly before we go further. Just simply, just look at it. Because this is not far. John, in John 10, Psalm 23 is not far from Jesus' thinking, as well as uh, Moses' prayer, Numbers 27, I mentioned earlier. Okay? And so as he pictures himself, he pictures himself... 
uh, in a couple of different ways, or several different ways. They're all figures of speech is what he says down in verse 6, this figure of speech, etc. But he's, um, um, he's the, uh, the good shepherd, or the, uh, he enters by the doors, the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. So he's the true shepherd. Uh, in verses 1 through 6, then verse 7 through 10, he's the door of the sheep. Okay, and uh, I mentioned this last Sunday that the door of the sheep is he would stand at the door, shepherd would stand at the door of a high corral. So you got to have a high corral because wolves can jump walls, right? So you got to have a high enough that the predators can pretty well stay out. And so the sheep coming back in after a day of grazing, he brings them back and he stands at the door. And as they're coming through, his hand is down. He's calling them all by name as they come through because he knows them intimately. He calls them all by name and his hand is here. He's checking them for wounds. He's checking them for birds in their coats. He's checking them. There's an intimacy. There's a knowledge of them. And they come in, but he's also there because there are banditos and bandits and predators outside the corral walls. And so as he's there, he's also watching to make sure his sheep are safe as he brings them into the place of safety. He's the door of the sheep. Okay? And then uh, lastly, he goes on when you get down to verse 11 and following. He's the true, the real shepherd uh, with the one voice. He calls his own sheep by name and his, his sheep hear him and they, were, they follow him. That's what he says in verse 1 through 6 and also when you get down to verse 11 and so forth. So he's, he knows his sheep. Again, Ken Bailey tells a story about um, the, the British had, uh, were retaliating on a village because of something that happened. So they were punishing them. So they took all their sheep hauled them all down to a corral, a big corral down uh, close to their headquarters. And then if you wanted your sheep, you had to come get them. And so this young boy was a um, shepherd and he came, comes down to the, the corral and the sergeant is standing there and, and he says, okay, you want your sheep? You got to get them. But you're not going to get them because there's you know, hundreds of sheep in here. And he says, watch this. And he starts calling them by name. And his sheep know his voice and they come out of this whole menagerie of sheep and his own flock starts falling out one by one, right? I know my sheep. I call them all by name. But not only does he know his sheep, he lays down his life for his sheep. Not like the hireling shepherd who's just in it for the buck, right? He'll throw himself into the way of the the wolf or the lion, okay? And that's, I mean, think about all those pictures that Jesus is piling in there in John 10. And then you come to Psalm 23 and you go, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. That Jesus has got Psalm 23 in mind. He's the one who leads me out to pasture. He's the one that puts me in clear waters. He's the one who brings me back when I'm straying and all of that. And we'll see the protective language when we get down to verse 4 in just a minute, 4 and 5. But that's the, that Psalm 23 is in the background of John 10. So before I go any further, any questions or anything? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Shepherding was not a pacifist's work. I mean, uh, it was, our, it was uh, Charles Spurgeon in his, uh, in his uh, Treasury of David. Yeah, Treasury of David talks about how a shepherd would have looked like a, a combat-hardened commando because 
they're used to actually being in hand-to-hand combat, fighting the elements, but also fighting the predators. Okay? And so, so yeah. So here's David, as a young fella. He's already taken on. He's, he's, what he's told, he's already taken on a bear and a lion. Right? There's more coming if he was if he were out in the field longer than that. Yeah. Good. All right, so that was the shepherd, and now we're going to move to the sheep in verses 4 and 5. So look at the last line of verse 3. What's going on in verse 3? What's he doing? What's the Lord doing? The Lord who's our shepherd, what's he doing in the last line of verse 3? Verse 3, not verse 4, verse 3. Yes, he leads me in paths. Notice the language. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here comes verse 4, the first illustration of one of those paths of righteousness. I'm going to say it again. Here comes as an illustration one of those paths of righteousness. And where is that path? Yeah, the valley of the shadow of death, right? And so, so yes, He leads me to paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Here's an example of one of those paths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? And that's what we just looked at there in verse 4. So here's how Ralph Davis puts it. So this valley signals the life-threatening, fear-generating situations of the Lord's flock. And we must remember the valley of the shadow of death is also one of the paths of righteousness. The valley of the shadow of death is one of those paths of righteousness. So what is that? Think about that for a minute. We may think that death is the last enemy, and it is. Paul says it is the last enemy, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15. And yet, the Lord is leading us in the path of righteousness even through something like that. I don't know about you, but that's pretty phenomenal. It changes, especially for believers, it changes the whole texture of death. It's actually not the end of the road. Okay? It's not the... It is traumatizing in many ways. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the end of the road. We walk through this. this we're all going to go through it. Okay? And so a shepherd would have to, to get to green pastures, will end up going down into valleys and go down into crevices that would end up being dark, still probably have some snow over there because the sun never gets down there. Anybody ever watch cowboy movies? If you go into a valley, what do you always need to be prepared for? An ambush. Taking them down through this valley because this is the way to get to the green pastures. Then what's the shepherd doing as you're going through this this dark valley where there are, pre- there are predators out there. There's bandits and banditos out there. There's wolves and lions and all of that. And they're just waiting for somebody to go astray because they're going to pounce on you. Right? And here's the shepherd leading them through and he's watching the whole time as you're leading through, preserving his people from the predators. That's the picture that's going on there in, in Psalm 23. Yes, Fred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it leads us through paths of uh, it leads us through paths, uh, along paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I've walked the valley of shadow death, I will fear no evil. For 
So there's the F-O-R word. There's the, the reason word. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? The idea of protection and so forth. So we'll talk about that here um, at this point. So Bailey goes on to say, the valley of deep darkness with shades of death, quote, is a section of the trail that cannot be avoided. There's no bypass road, no magical escape. The only way forward is through the valley of sin and death. And here's the shepherd leading his sheep through that. I just, I guess for me, the touching aspect of this is to realize that as you face death and dying, your own and others, right? To realize, okay, it, there's, there's a sense that this is not right, and that's true. And I'll say that in every funeral sermon I ever preach, that this, there's something wrong about death. It doesn't belong. And yet, for the Christian, the Lord leads us through it. It's actually doing something good for us. Okay? In a sense, it's doing something good for us. It's leading us along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And so, we fight with it. Because it is the last enemy, but at the same time, we're not terrified by it. I love St. Athanasius' book, um, The Incarnation of the Word, which he wrote in the 4th, 5th century. And he tells all these pagans reading the book, he says, you know, it's because Jesus rose from the dead, we're not afraid to die. Come on, big boy, take us. Right? He's got this attitude, but his attitude is, we're not afraid to die. Death does not terrify us. And that was... That actually made an impact. That kind of thinking made an impact on early Roman um, law enforcement and judiciary as they saw, like Polycarp, for example, willing to go to death, right? And being humble about it. He wasn't a braggadocious, arrogant cuss. He was very humble about it. But it was like, okay, bring it on, right? And the reason why they can do that is because of like Psalm 23, the reminder, the Lord's path. The Lord leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Yeah, apparently, yeah, they have, a, they have a, uh, maybe not completely as developed, but there is a sense of afterlife, okay? I know a lot of liberal theologians said there's no afterlife in the Old Testament, but that's bunk. There's too much talk about... So, like I uh, read on New Year's Day, reading Psalm 73, for example, right? And afterward you will receive me into glory. Right? There's always a concept of that. It wasn't quite the Greek idea of Hades or the shadowy lands and nobody knows what's going on there. There is a sense of I'll always be with the Lord forever. Yeah. Yes, yes, right. You're not going to be here forever, right? You're going through to go somewhere else. And he's leading you through. Right, that's exactly right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's, yeah, so it's a, it's a valley that's uh, of deep darkness. Darkness is deep as death, if you want to put it that way, okay? 
So it is, it's a metaphorical aspect to it, but it's the idea of uh, um, that what terrifies you, he walks you through it. Okay? Yes? Sure, right? Right. Very good. So you look at that verse, what does going through the de- valley of deep darkness cause this sheep to do regarding the shepherd? What does it cause this sheep to do regarding the shepherd? Look at verse 4. Talking to him. Yeah, getting closer to him, right? I will fear no evil for you are with me. Right? So there's a sense of he's drawing near to him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it draws him to the Lord going through it. Okay, actually draws him closer. Weapons and directions. Alright, so, you know, your rod is a weapon. Okay, it's the idea because it would be a shorter stick, and the idea, so it's easier to manage. So I, I was just doing a martial arts move, but you didn't see the stick, sorry. So it's, it's meant to whack, you know, so you use it to actually beat off those who are attacking. Okay, you could even, I mean, you can tap the sheep and get back on the trail, but it's primarily a weapon, so it'd be a rod, okay, so it's not real long, and then the staff, probably very similar to what you expect, you imagine in your head when you think of a staff, something crooked in some way, because it's meant for rescue, it's meant for, it'd be more the guiding as well, right? And so, um, so it's a weapon and weapon, weapon, rod, directions, maybe even rescue would be the staff. Okay, but just the picture. Here he is. He's armed for combat for his people, for his sheep, but he's also armed with direction and rescue for his sheep. I think that's pretty cool. Well, the David didn't put a slingshot in there, but yes, he did use one. So there's a momentary slide. There's a momentary slide of metaphors. He moves from being a sheep, walking through a dark valley led by the shepherd, and now he slips into a different metaphor in verse 5, and it, it's a picture of hospitality and plenty. How, does it, how is it put in verse 5? This picture, this metaphor, hospitality and plenty. A table, okay? Prepare a table before me, where? Yeah, isn't that interesting? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a sense of hospitality. The Lord prepares the table. And even if there are enemies around, He's prepared this table I can eat. Right? And then He goes on. What else is, how else does the metaphor go on? It's still hospitality 
and plenty. What's the rest of the metaphor? Yeah, so refreshment. I mean, we don't use oil like, like that anymore where you pour it on your head, you know. To, to, but, but you use hand lotion. Anybody use hand lotion? I have to use it sometimes. My hands start really getting dry, and especially this time of year. Hand lotion, that'd be like the oil. You, you refresh me, okay? And so you anoint my head with oil. What else? Yeah, my cup overflows. So it's, just, it's just this metaphor, piling on this metaphor of uh, hospitality and plenty. When we were in Turkey, and we would go eat in Turkey in a restaurant, they always did, it wasn't oil, but they would always at the end, they would take this bottle, it was the best smelling lemon, I don't know what, but it was awesome, right? Because after your greasy hands have, have hogged all that lamb meat, and lamb meat can be greasy, right? And you've eaten all that, your hands are kind of, you know, they're oily, and they would come up, they would always come up in hospitality, they would anoint your hands, so to speak, with this lemon refreshment that cut through the grease, right? And it felt refreshing, and it smelled marvelous. And you always, let's just go back to the restaurant and see if they'll squirt our hands, you know, because it just smelled really good, and it, was, it really was refreshing. And so something similar to that, the anointing the head with oil, that same kind of aspect of hospitality, relief from things, and so there's, so there's metaphor slips a little bit, slides over into the sense of hospitality and plenty. You paratate before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what my head with the wall, my cup runs over. Does that metaphor, does that picture in verse 5, does that resonate? Does that bring something to mind maybe as well? Yeah, yeah. What do you do? What what do you Yes, Moose. Right, right, right. And that's, that's really the, the picture there, right? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, okay? So think about that for a minute. Is there a table prepared for us? Yes, communion. But I want you to think about that other part. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Are we surrounded by enemies? Hopefully not in here, right? But we are surrounded by enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. It's just that reminder I can eat because the Lord is my shepherd. Right? And so when we have communion today, I hope verse 5 comes back into your head. Randy. Randy had a mohawk. He had his hand like this. Or maybe it was the creature from the Black Lagoon or something. Like Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Good. Good. So I hope verse 5 pops in your head today during communion. All right, so then the sheepdogs, verse 6. So many shepherds have sheepdogs for alerting them of enemies or defending the sheep, uh, also herding the sheep. Are there any sheepdogs in verse 6? Yes, mercy and goodness, right? Isn't that interesting? They follow me all the days of my life. There's the sheepdogs, right? And it's actually in the Hebrew, the word um, to follow is actually more aggressive. It's uh, they pursue me. They follow me like hound dogs. You know, hound dogs, they follow, but they're pursuing, you know. Here's mercy and uh, um, uh, God's mercy and, and, and love that's pursuing us. In other words, we're not out of his sight and he's not letting us go. What a great picture. Like hound dog or like sheep dogs. Okay, anybody ever seen sheep dogs? You ever seen? Yeah, okay. So, you know, they call them out and then they're able to herd and they're able to, yeah, okay, good. I think it's a great picture. And so why do we need sheep dogs? Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We do. We've turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. But there it is. I mean, that's why we need a shepherd who's got a rod and a staff. We need a shepherd who's got sheepdogs. And the sheepdogs, especially of goodness and mercy, right, that are pursuing us and, and, and nipping at our heels sometimes and bumping us to draw us back into the, into the flock where we belong. Okay? It's a, just a delightful picture. We need it because... We're, we definitely are straying sheep. Left to our own devices, we will end up in the wrong place every time. And so Kim Bailey says, thus David uh, first notes that he is not surrounded by or followed by evil, but he is followed, surrounded by good. Okay? There may be evil things going on, but in the reality, you're surrounded by God's goodness. And I think that's important for us when we get into situations, stopping and actually reminding ourselves and looking around for God's mercy and, and truth that is, that is pursuing us, okay? So where do the sheepdogs guide the sheep to? House of the Lord. I am the door of the sheep, John 10. Whoever come in by me will be safe and they'll go in and out and find pasture. I came to bring them life and that abundantly. Right? We're brought into the house of the Lord where there's, there's this safety, there's this uh, protection, there's this closeness to the Lord as well. Um, I just, it's a great psalm. And so the sheep, I'm sorry? Yes. place shall be yes and so i've already mentioned this john 10 the sheep pen and safety security with the shepherd that's kind of the idea of that picture of being and i'll be in the house of the lord forever the sheep dogs of mercy and love pursue me there the lord is my shepherd he's guiding me there and this is where we're headed okay 
So think of the Lord's threefold parable in Luke 15. Anybody remember the three parables of Luke 15? There's actually a fourth one that starts out in verse six, chapter 16, but there Jesus is going in a different direction. So Luke 15, there are three parables. You should know them. The first one is of the lost sheep and the shepherd who goes and finds his sheep and puts him on his shoulders. And there's great rejoicing. And then, what's the next one? The coins of the woman. It's the woman's coins. And, and the reason why I bring this up, because normally when you think of hospitality, especially in that era, the, 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 the woman in the house was the one who led the way in hospitality. That's why she's worried about the coin, part of the coin, because of the hospitality aspect. Okay? And then what's the last parable? Prodigal son restores my soul. I wonder if Jesus had Psalm 23 in mind as he was telling those three parables because they're a huge picture of what's going on in Psalm 23. And so, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Psalm 23. He restores my soul, right? He restores my soul, leads me paths of righteousness, etc. So I, 1 Peter 2 is a delightful ending for the psalm. So anybody have any questions or anything up to this point? Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's deep connections there, yeah. Good. Anybody else? All right, so outside of worship on the Lord's Day, how fitting is this psalm, Psalm 23, how fitting is it to use it in reference to, say, Christians who are in the hospital or a care facility? Yeah, okay. Outside of worship on the Lord's Day, how fitting is it to use Psalm 23 in funerals? How fitting is it to use it at evening time family devotion? Yeah. Yeah, it actually make a great evening prayer. Yes. Absolutely. How about Christians going through real genuine persecution? Moose? Yeah. Yeah. How fitting is a psalm when a brother or sister is dealing with mental health crisis? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Remind him, remind him who our shepherd is, even though we're straying sheep, right? And all that aspect. And he's his rod and his staff are accompanying us. Very good. How about how fitting is this psalm for Christians in the midst of national turmoil? 
Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But also being near him. Let the, let, if it's, a, for example, a national turmoil or mental health crisis, let that draw us closer to him because he's right there. Right? Okay. I love Psalm 23. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. There we are again. Those wayward sheep falling over, putting our legs in the air, flopping around. Help, Lord, I can't get up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I've been enjoying reading James Harriet. I mean, I know the PBS has got a series, but James Harriet's uh, All Things Bright and Beautiful and all those. It is so fun because here's a city boy who's actually becoming a, who's a country vet. So there's so much that he doesn't know. And so he actually describes some of those same scenes just in Scotland where he was doing, doing this uh, veterinary, large animal and small animal veterinary clinic and stuff. And he's always surprised constantly about the animals and, and all that stuff. So if you ever get a chance to read it, you, you could have a great time reading it. Well, good. Okay, so Psalm 23, keep it in mind. Next week we'll do Psalm 24. We'll come at that. Uh, it's another short psalm. Very fitting if you come out of Psalm 23, you move into Psalm 24. So, again, remember that uh, Women's Ministry has uh, her heritage. The new one is out, and it's got some really cool stuff on page 3. Um, even my buddy Bob is in there. Anybody know my martial arts guy, Bob? He's in there, so you can check that out as well. So, All right, let's pray. What a great reminder, Lord, that you are our shepherd, that there's no one too big for you no one who's too politically powerful for you, that, that you are the Lord who is our shepherd. And so, Lord, you care about us, you care about our constant needs because we're wayward sheep and we don't know where to go. We, don't, we, we think we do, but we really don't. And so you're constantly with us, leading us where we need to go, leading us and restoring us, turning us around when we wander away. And even though we go through valleys as dark as death, we have nothing to fear because you are with us and your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, we look forward to as you prepare a table before us this very day and you anoint our heads with oil and our cup runs over. We look forward to drawing even closer to you. And what a delight to know that your sheepdogs, mercy and truth, mercy and love, that they follow and pursue us all along the path, drawing us back into your presence so we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, may all this come racing back in our hearts today as we get ready to enter into the assembly and as we draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.